The moment that video became a, a thing that people wanted to do theatrically, I was there. You know, I'm not sure that every story needs an application of incredible cutting-edge technology. What we really made at Mode was comfort and courage for our clients to, to do these innovative things. Hello, and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast, sponsored by Harlequin Floors, the world leader in floors, stage systems, and studio equipment for the performing arts. Our podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. And welcome to our LDI special. In our LDI series, we'll be speaking to some of the people who will be speaking or exhibiting at this year's LDI show running from November 14 to 20 at the Las Vegas Convention Center. Today, our guest is Bob Boniol. Bob is an Emmy Award-winning director, production designer, and producer. He's known for his implementation of extensive media and interactive features in his productions and installations. In 2021, Bob founded Metamode as a laboratory and consultancy for metaverse-based strategy and activation. Since 2020, Bob has served as creative director for Panasonic's massive installations at the Consumer Electronics Show. In 2021, he won multiple tele awards for his creation and production of the Panasonic CES Virtual Experience. In 2009, he served as a screens producer and content artist for Oculus's projection map takeover of the Los Angeles Theatre, premiering their new product, Quest. He also appeared as the featured VJ at the Amazon re-Mars conference, as well as designing the holographic lightweave sculpture for Nordstrom's new Manhattan flagship store. In 2018, he won the Knight of Illumination Award for his creative direction of the massive renovation of the core at General Motors World Headquarters in Detroit. The installation General Motors World features the largest AI-driven interactive LED screen array on earth and creates a permanent immersive experiential venue for all of GM's brands. In the fall of 2018, Bob wrote, directed, and produced the acclaimed work, Becoming Ailey, for the Elvin Ailey American Dance Theatre's 60th anniversary season at the New York City Centre. Utilising holographic technology alongside classical theatrical craft, the piece put the voice and vision of Elvin Ailey back on stage with his beloved company. In the course of his career, he's worked from Broadway to Beijing, helping clients like Disney, NBCU, ABC, Live Nation, AEG, Marvel Studios, and Lucasfilm gather and dazzle audiences of millions. Bob, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. It's lovely to be here. It's wonderful to read your career. It's amazing, but I want to start, like, rewind. So how did you get into this industry and where did you start? Oh, my um, God. Uh, tell me about it. <laughs> the origin story. Yeah. Uh, well, this is, a, this is a great story and I could easily make this the entire half hour, but I won't. <laughs> you know, if we flash back to 1987, uh, I am in college studying political science. Uh, my intention is to become uh, an attorney. Uh, and to uh, and to uh, try to become a corrupt politician, which uh, I grew up in Rhode Island. Uh, I grew up in Rhode Island, which is in New England in the United States. And in Rhode Island, there's a long tradition of it being a great career to to go into uh, corrupt politics. Politics, so, corrupt so politics. Literally, no, literally corrupt politics. So, um, so I was in Providence, Rhode Island at the time I was going to school. I and uh, it was the summer. 
and I, uh, you know, like every strapped college kid, I needed money. Like I just, I needed, you know, I needed beer money. I needed money to go out with my friends. I needed to pay for this car I had. So I had found myself a series of jobs that summer. And early in the morning, I was making ice cream at a place called Big Alice's, which was near Brown University. And I would get up at 5 a.m. and make the ice cream. And then at, at lunchtime, I had found a job at a restaurant in Providence uh, being a busboy, clearing the tables and such. But I had time at night. Uh, and I heard th- through a, a friend of mine, I heard that the local theater, Trinity Repertory, was looking for spot operators. Now, I had a very, very loose idea of what a spotlight was. And I knew kind of that maybe there was a person who pointed the spotlight. So my friend and I, my 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 buddy and I, Elliot, we went down to Trinity Rep. Um, and uh, presented ourselves at the box office. And they said, oh, okay, go talk to the head electrician. She's in the downstairs theater. So we went in and met her, and we lied to her. And she said, you know, have you ever done this before? And we're like, oh, hundreds of times, yes. Long, long careers as spotlight operators. Um, And uh, so she's like, well, I'm over the barrel. The show is opening the day after tomorrow. We're doing technical rehearsal tonight. Here's the color. For your spots, if you could go put the color in, and then we'll talk about cues. About an hour later, we came back to her with the color in hand, uh, saying, oh, well, we've never put the color in these particular kinds of spots before. Now, they were, of course, the simplest, most rudimentary light fixtures ever that you've seen, but we were lying, so we didn't know what we were doing. She immediately saw through us. She said, you You've never done this before, have you? And then we compounded lie on lie. We're like, no, we haven't, but this is our big break, and we've been waiting to get into the theater, and, you know, this is, you know. So she's like, well, I don't have much choice, so I guess I'll use you. So two hilarious things came out of that. One, it did become my big break. I didn't realize that I was going to fall in love with this process. Like, I, I get to take part in this rehearsal. My eyes were opened. I couldn't believe, uh, you know, I couldn't believe sort of the magic of it all. The other amazing thing that came out of that is that woman, Colleen, who is that electrician, is now my wife. No. But it, it, did, it did take me 12 years to talk her into going on a date with me because she just wasn't into <laughs> dating anyone who's so fundamentally dishonest. But, uh, <laughs> I love that story. Uh, but then, you know, it. but after that, I switched my major the next year. I horrified my parents uh, and switched my major from pre-law to theater, and the rest is history. That's amazing. That's a great story. So, did you actually go into lighting to begin with? Because now, now you're obviously heavily into the, the the new technologies and the metaverse, which we'll get to. But did you did you go straight into lighting, or what sort of areas did you, were you working in? I did. Well, I studied at a, I, I, I switched schools too, uh, because I wanted to study under the lighting designer who I had met and worked with at Trinity. His name was John Custer, and he taught in the theater program at Rhode Island College, which was a tiny little state school. It was a really magical and unusual time at, at, at Rhode Island College, because at the time it was aligned with Trinity's conservatory. Uh, so I, I ended up going to school with Viola Davis uh, and with a, a, a whole bunch of other remarkable performers and, and uh, designers who now are are all doing amazingly uh, in the industry. 
Uh, so it was just a magical time at Rhode Island College. Now, I went there to study lighting under John, but I, but I also very much got hooked into performing. Uh, so I sang, I danced, I acted, I lit shows, I learned to stage manage, I learned, you know, I, I kind of, it's, it, it's, it was a small program, so everybody had to do everything. So, you know, I, I also got the acting bug and I also ended up rotating through all of the different departments. Although for me, lighting was definitely the beginning of my career. And when I, when I left school and went on tour, uh, it was as a head electrician on the national tour of sound of music was the first tour I did. And then I did a whole series of tours as a head electrician and a production electrician. And then when I, in the early nineties, uh, being a, a programmer became a thing because it wasn't prior to that. The head electrician, whoever was going to write, whoever was going to run the lighting console would, would write the light cues with the designer. It wasn't this position in the theater of, of light programmer, but I was there when that position was invented um, and became uh, one of the first programmers in theater. And by that point I had, I had graduated to working on beauty and the beast on Broadway, uh, and then on the national tour, I moved to New York City. I became a programmer and a moving light programmer, just as moving lights became a thing. You know, if we fast forward through it, you alluded to how now I'm in a very technological place. That's because I was constantly fascinated by how could we put these technologies to work to tell stories in the theater. So the moment that video became a, a thing that people wanted to do theatrically, I was there. I was like, you know, you I there. looked up from the lights <laughs> and saw the video projectors and said, oh, I want to go do that next. And so then, then you know, and then I spent time kind of figuring out how to play back video in a theater, you know, in a theatrical context. And so it was, uh, my career has kind of gone from like, oh, lights could move. Let's, let's play with those things. Oh, uh, we can, you know, have these incredible programming paradigms. And then I did that. Oh, we could use video stuff. And then then I did that. So it, it just kind of progressed from there. I went from lighting programmer to lighting designer to video designer to then when a lot of the projects I was working on, video was the the primary constituent production element. I became a production designer. Uh, and then as my career morphed out of theater and more into concert design and broadcast and brand activation, I sort of naturally ascended to more of a creative director and a producer status because I had accidentally collected all of the different talents that you needed to make a show. <laughs> accidentally collected. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, you know, it's a really interesting trajectory. I mean, it does, that does indicate a lot of your, um, gives, it indicates your, your personality in, in such a, that you're always going out to, to discover that new technology. Now that you're in the space that you're on, in, do you look at the theatre and think that they're, they're up to date with the technology or do you think they've got a ways to go with sort of bringing new technology into the theatrical world? Well, you know, I think that, that theater as a live event art form is its own form, right? I think that if we look at Broadway and we look at uh, most of the really amazing uh, imaginative work going on in the theater, I think we do see, like, we see a lot of use of video. We see a lot of use of interactive technologies, and even in hidden and surprising places. There are shows that I've been involved with in the theater. I, I was blessed for 
for uh, just about 15 years to be involved with almost every show that Blue Man did. And, you know, Blue Man Group is, uh, you know, they were incredible practitioners in the theater of interactive arts uh, and, and things like that. I think that theater in its context and according to its needs is definitely applying as much of the cutting edge of technology as it can. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure that every story needs an application of incredible cutting edge technology. That's you know, right. at it's the same time, the some of the most ima- you know, some of the most imaginative stuff that's happening now and what people are referring to as the metaverse, which are, you know, these immersive virtual digital spaces is already theatrical. Like some of the first things that people started to do when they strapped headsets on their heads and said, what can we do in here was they, they started doing plays, you know? So it's, uh, you know, because that's traditionally the art form. I think that in there, are, there are forms like broadcast, like concert touring, like things like that, where the budgets are just much bigger and maybe the audience appetite demands that they be right at the bleeding edge of, of technology. And so that's where you tend to see some of the innovation first. But I think that, that, that theater is, is, using it, is using it where it should be used. Mm. Oh, that's really interesting. So you, you started MetaMode just recently, I guess, in the, uh, last year, 2021. So tell us, what, what, what is this? And, 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 you know, a lot of people are very confused I guess, for, about the metaverse and, and what it means for our industry. And, and I guess you're one of the best people to tell us what it, what it might mean for our industry. So is this part of the reason why you founded this company? Uh, it is. It is. And it was because we had a lot of clients asking us what, should, you know, they were asking us a, a set of questions that, that I felt needed to have a language that we could speak to them about. Now, I think a lot of people have different definitions of what the metaverse is but uh, what i think the metaverse is and which agrees i think with a lot of people's definitions is it's the natural next digital extension of uh you know of our lives in terms of how we carry out commerce education entertainment daily tasks like knowing where we are i find that my definition of the metaverse is maybe bigger than a lot of other people's definitions i think a lot of people think that the metaverse involves strapping a headset to your face uh, or looking into a computer monitor. Uh, but I think that uh, in particular with the advance and, and the, the coming adoption of augmented reality, where one we're wearing glasses on our faces that look a lot like, you know, just normal glasses, and they are enabling us to see a layer of content on top of everything, the grocery store, the concert hall, the classroom, that is the metaverse leaking into our everyday lives. And that's, you know, so I have a, you know, I kind of jokingly refer to it as the leaky metaverse these days. But, you know, because I, th- I think there's not going to be, I think that the key to it being widely understood and adopted is that, that there's not going to be a place you go that's the metaverse and a place you, that you go the rest of the time that's real life. I think the two are coming together incredibly rapidly. And I think if we sat down and had a cup of coffee and repeated this conversation in five years, everybody is going to be very used to visual phenomena, auditory phenomena, immersive things happening in all of the places that they go. Uh, So what that points to is a need for people who think about creating narrative spaces for people to exist in to start thinking about that. So this 
becomes the realm of the theatrical artist. It becomes the realm of the people who create, you know, uh, theme parks. It becomes the realm of people who create content for live shows. And all of this uh, demands that people are going to think about it and create elements for it, and and it's going to be everywhere we look. And now a moment for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia-Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. That's really interesting. So do people, will clients come to you to meta mode for the purposes of understanding or, or helping you or you help them create whatever the, that technology might be in relation to the entertainment that they're producing? Well, my wife and my partner, Colleen, uh, who I alluded to, the head electrician from Trinity Rap. She's now we co-founded the the, the company Mode, which was uh, you know which we started in 1997. And again, we started that company as a company that always was working at this intersection of really innovative technology and storytelling. And and for us, it's also about community building. We think anytime we're bringing an audience together, we're building a community. Um, so with those three things, you know, Colleen. We're always, we were always doing cutting-edge productions. We were always working with our clients to do usually something that maybe hadn't been done before or had been done very rarely. So Colleen would always say that our, our principal work product, like what we really made at Mode, was comfort and courage for our clients to, to do these innovative things. So Meta Mode was just a way for us to group this new set of things we were going to do that was going to be in a more digital world. And the thing is, we had been working on projects like we we designed the TED conference for, for quite a, a long time. And we've also worked on a bunch of uh, uh, different sort of productions, you know, auto show with Chevrolet, where, uh, you know, and uh, broadcast stuff with, with NBC and the networks where we were making a live event, but we were also making a digital platform maybe, or giving a digital, extending that live event with, with digital opportunities. So for us, like, you know, we like to say that we've kind of been working in the metaverse since 1999, you know, just in the sense that we've always been looking at adding these digital elements and these digital opportunities. So, but we were getting questions from clients, like what is augment, what is AR, XR, VR? Like, and how should I be thinking about it? What is the metaverse and what should, what should we or could we be doing with that? So we found that first with our clients, it began with education, okay? This is what these things are, right? And we would explain to them the context. What is the difference between augmented reality and virtual reality? What is the metaverse? What are the platforms involved? Where are, where are 
you know, where are other brands or other clients or other arts organizations showing up and doing things? Where are the audiences gathering? So we first began with MetaMode with a sort of mission to inform the marketplace. Okay, these are the opportunities. These are the risks. These are the the places where you could flex creatively. Uh, and then after the educational component, our clients would say, okay, these are things we want to do. Uh, so then, you know, we, we, you know, MetaMode then became a vehicle for them to, to begin to put together projects like that and to, to apply these new, these new uh, technologies. It's really fascinating. I think that, you know, it's like cracking up and that, cracking open another layer, right? Like everybody knows how to do their entertainment thing. And then there's suddenly another layer that's possible. I remember doing a gig in Dubai just at the start of 2019, just before the pandemic hit. And, um, it was a live show and then on the screens there was augmented reality on top and it's the first time that I was calling a live show and suddenly there was the augmented reality facet that was just there on top of it. I didn't have anything to do with it because I was busy running the live thing but there was this layer of element and when you see it played back you've got all of that extra added thing so it just opens up more possibilities really doesn't it and I I guess the thing is to know what that vocabulary is and what's possible is something that you know, needs to be educated, like you don't necessarily know how it might apply to your live event. So for you, do you, is that your mission then to, to be finding out what's possible and thinking about how you can integrate it into those live things? That, that's when that education aspect for you is you just knowing what's out there and, and thinking about how it can be incorporated into, into these gigs? It's a bit of my obsession, maybe a little bit of an addiction, I don't know from a business standpoint if it's entirely the best thing to be constantly innovating because we will just have gotten the thing all figured out and then we stop, you know, we stop focusing on it because we've we've found the next glittery, shiny thing that we want to introduce everybody to. And, you know, maybe if we had stuck with, you know, being really crackerjack moving light uh, uh, people or if we had, you know, stuck with strictly focusing on LED screens, we might be a better a business but nevertheless you know it's funny you look back at our career now and it seems in the company and it seems coherent it's like oh of course you just always jump to the next thing and you were always innovating you know the fact of the matter is it very much happened in the moment and we would we would spot a new thing we wouldn't do a lot of whole a whole lot of necessarily thinking about it we would say oh my god this seems like it's going to be an incredible opportunity for storytellers and for people gathering audiences. Let's go investigate. So we kind of, uh, you know, accidentally followed this path of innovation. So, yeah, and I, you know, and it's, and, and the other factor is that, you know, both Colleen and I have been educators for our entire career as well. Like whether that, you know, we, we, we started a program at Cal arts and we chaired that program for a while and video for performance We've both lectured and spoken at tons and tons of colleges and universities and at places like LDI. We're both really, we, we, we enjoy that. And I, and I think we, you know, and I think that increasingly as my career has progressed and, and I've, you know, I've gone from being a boy wonder to the old, to one of the old men of the industry, uh, I feel a, a real impulse to 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 be to transmit all the things I've learned to the people who are coming coming up up the ladder 
behind me and not underneath me. And, and, you know, because they're going to go running right by me and they're even, even as we speak, that's happening. So, you know, they are going to become the new spotters of the new technological trends. They're going to become the new practitioners of these new forms. And what I can give them is the wisdom of having fallen into every single possible hole and trap that is in the industry. And uh, so, yes, education for us is, is definitely a big part of it, whether it's our clients or our colleagues. It, it's something I enjoy a great deal. And, uh, and I think that, that, that as my career progresses, you'll probably find that I do less and less uh, actual projects and probably more and more sharing what I've learned over time, because that seems to be the place where I can give the most value. That's great. What's the, is there like a, a technology that you're particularly excited about at the moment? Is there a technology that I'm particularly excited about at the moment? I would, I would say that right now I'm, I'm my, my new obsession is uh, artificial intelligence. Um, and it's not really a new session. You mentioned in, in the credits earlier that we had deployed AI at uh, General Motors uh, GM World, where we built a, an AI sequencer that creates new content sequences every day. And that was one of the first times we applied machine learning in one of our projects. But right now there is a proliferation of tools for instance, it allows you to enter a simple sentence like, you know, a beautiful sunset uh, in an incredible rainforest location. And the augmented reality or the artificial intelligence, rather, will then create an amazing picture uh, by that text prompt. Uh, and this technology is now advancing to the point where you can make video with it. Uh, it's advancing to the point where they're starting to roll out versions of it that can generate 3D assets that can make a complete 3D scene that you can navigate around in. So I think we're at a real paradigm shift uh, in terms of technology, like utterly disrupting a field. Uh, you know, if we look at it from a business standpoint and a, and a creative standpoint, um, the, uh, the, the art and form of creating content is about to change radically. Yeah, that's so amazing. I I had a, I had a friend who just we were we're doing a show recently, and he 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 plugged into an AI thing some parameters for a, for a costume, and the AI spat out a pretty decent costume design. And to think about like wow, you know, one of the things that when people said, "Oh, AI is going to replace jobs, but not creativity." Well, that's not necessarily uh. true, right? <laughs> this, is, this is what we're discovering now. And I can imagine, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that like, okay, if we can plug in a scenic design of like, okay, we want this scene or blah, blah, blah. And then quite hypothetically, the machine could also then draw the construction drawings of that scene eventually, right? Oh, like there's, you can there's imagine... no question that they can. There's no yeah. question that it could, could and that it will. And, you know, and the next question that people ask is like, well, okay, is my job going away? You know, and my answer to that is no, our jobs are changing the way that they've always changed. To run the lights on a show used to demand, you know, maybe five or more people on a big, uh, you know, old dimmer board pulling levers. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it took a lot of people to, to conduct a light cue. And now there's one person pressing a button. 
uh, and the light cues happen. It used to be to make a light move, you had to have a human being on every light that had to move. And of course, now many, many lights move and there are no human beings on them, but the humans have gone on to do other different things. Right now, AI is a really clever tool to use if you're a content creator or a designer. Will AI get to a point where it could uh, create production elements without, you know, where, you know, where a du- just a director uh, is entering his costume ideas or his set ideas or his lighting ideas, and then the AI could spit out um, whether it's drawings for co- for things to be built uh, or whether it's spitting out actual light cues that a lighting console could perform. I think that these things probably will happen. I don't know how soon they'll happen, but I also think that that that. There's always been a human desire and a human hunger to witness and be part of human creativity. And so I think that there will be big parts of entertainment or communication where artificial intelligence is carrying most of the weight of creating the elements. But at the same time, just because photography came along doesn't mean that humans stopped painting or that painting ceased to be valuable. Uh, and just because 3D printers came along doesn't mean that sculptors were suddenly uh, put out of work. So, it, you know, I think that that human beings are always going to want to celebrate and be part of and witness to the creative work of other humans. They'll also be celebrating and witnessing and being part of creative work that's being done by humans and computers together or maybe, you know, software alone. But I think in my view, there's always going to be a place for for human artists and human designers to be making work for other humans. And that that just because software can do that doesn't mean it's just going to do that in every case. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that outlook because like that that sounds probably more reassuring. And and you're right, especially the analogy about photographs and paintings and things like that. We still value those Mm -hmm. things. And, And the it's what make it's quite that that visceral nature of those things is something that that we humans appreciate, right? Absolutely, and there's a lot more humans these days, by the way. So there's a lot more need for art, for entertainment, for culture, for communication. So it's okay that we've got a little bit of a software assist. And look, as a designer, what AI enables me to do and how quickly it enables me to do it is breathtaking, and I'm really loving it and enjoying it. I can you know, come up with concept stuff really fast on our architectural projects. A couple weeks ago, I was working in Las Vegas on a charity event for the Shaquille O'Neal Foundation, and we had to very quickly create content for one of the performing acts who was there. You know, we had Maroon 5 and Pitbull and a bunch of other performers. And in situations where, you know, like that, where I had to create a piece of content for a song really quickly, uh, using the AIs, I was able to have incredibly polished things happen really fast and flexibly. And I think that's the beauty of a tool like that. It's it's less about the existential question, will my job still exist? But, oh my gosh, what does it enable me to do now in the job I have at the moment? So, Speed. Speed is a massive factor, really, isn't it? Of speed of delivery. It's crazy. So tell us, just before we wrap up, what is it that you're going to be doing at LDI? I understand you're speaking. You're speaking at a session. Are you going to be talking about the metaverse? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, I'm speaking at a session. And as usually happens at LDI, the, the folks at uh, at QuestX and, and Live Design prevail on me to uh, educate and to talk and to introduce. So I will be giving a keynote myself where I'm going to be talking about a lot of these things, new technologies, 
uh, and new forms that are coming about. But in addition to that, I'll be curating and hosting all of the sessions that are part of the XLive track at LDI. Now, XLive was started by LDI as a place where there's discussions not just about theater and entertainment technology, but the discussion is much more focused on the audience experience. So we tend to, uh, you know, we tend to talk about how we're, you know, how the, the face of concert design, festival design, brand activations is changing in terms of audience experience. What are the new things that, that audiences are craving uh, and how are, you know, how are technologies and the way we create uh, these events uh, shifting and changing to meet those appetites? So the XLive track at LDI is going to be focused on innovation. There'll be a lot of talking about the metaverse and the ways agencies and presenters and producers will be using the metaverse in their projects. Uh, and there'll be a lot of talk about uh, things like augmented reality at Coachella. There'll be a lot of talk about interactive audience technology that allows the audience to not just be an observer of an event, but become a participant in things. So I'll be, uh, that whole track happens for the most part on Thursday and Friday. And uh, I will be, uh, I'll be anchoring some great panel discussions with people. I'll be giving my own talks, of course. uh, And then I'll be wandering around, I'm sure, with various people from live design doing a little, you know, if, if I know what usually happens, I'll end up, uh, I'll end up being part of a whole bunch of little interviews and, and media things there. So you, you won't have any problem seeing me at LDI. I'll be all over the place. Well, I will certainly come and find you to say hello to you in person, Bob. And thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I look forward to the event and, and meeting you in person. It was my pleasure, Anna. Theater at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only $38 per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.